0: Anderson Afternoons, the podcast.
1: But Chuck Davidson, the head of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, president and CEO, come on in here. Chuck, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Well, tough day,
0: eh? It's a tough day, man. I, I, I'll i be honest with you. I never thought it would get to this. I thought... Um, I didn't think we'd be getting to that point where we'd be having to close businesses again. And I really feel for those businesses and the stress that they've been under over the past eight months uh, to have to know today that uh, they've got to close their doors for uh, hopefully only a two-week time frame. But just the stress on those employers and their employees, uh, this is something I didn't think we'd have to get to again. And it's it's a real tough day for business in Manitoba.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised we're here as well. I mean, we kind of felt like maybe it was going that way over the past couple of weeks, right, when we saw new restrictions uh, start to come in. Um, but uh, it is definitely devastating for businesses that are being impacted. And um, speak about your members. I'm sure you've been hearing from them. I'm sure they've been seeing this as a real possibility of late. What are they telling you?
0: Well, and this was the big frustration that that businesses were having is that, that we all saw the numbers and the direction that they were going, and that this was potentially, and you you know you this was kind of the call that you were getting from the public as well that the only way that we were going to get this under control was to really shut it down, um, and, and so the challenges with that, and I mean I think the reality that we've known from the business community in Manitoba is that you know right from the beginning uh, they understood that um, you know that they had to put in place those protocols and and they were following them and they were ahead of the game, they were ahead of public health you know, whether it's, you know, having masks in in restaurants and in places of business and making sure they had hand sanitizer, and taking all these steps to create so that they were so that when you came into their establishments, people felt safe coming in. So they were well ahead of where public health is. And, And I think this is exactly why is because they didn't want to have to go through this situation again. So and that's what's so frustrating with this is that, you know, you're not seeing the cases as a result of business being open. It, that's not where the cases are happening. It's happening with, you know, group settings. It's happening with people just, I think, you know, I, there's no question about it, uh, got a little too comfortable and didn't follow the rules that they needed to. And I think with these these large cases, the only way to get it back under control, unfortunately, is that you've got to limit all those opportunities for people to do the things that they like to do. Uh, and this is, a, this is a huge challenge. And, and that's why I feel for business, because they've been doing so much to make uh, us not have to close down again, and unfortunately, it's come to this.
1: And that's a really good point, and I'm glad you made it, Chuck, because um, throughout this, I think some types of businesses have been labeled as um, offenders, and none of them, I don't think, or, or a, a small minority uh, have not, as you point out, followed the uh, instructions, the orders it's people and again it's not a lot of people but it's some people that have not been following the rules properly and now we all pay including manitoba's business people
0: absolutely Helen. and you know i've been saying this right from the beginning when it comes to enforcement if you, if you if you go to a business and they're not following the rules should should we take action against them absolutely uh, you know, and that and that's what's key to this. If there are some bad apples out there that are that are not following the rules and putting those places in place, and where you're seeing that spread happen, that's where the enforcement needs to happen. But I can tell you that 99% of the businesses in this province uh, are following those rules and doing everything possible to make sure that uh, you know they're creating a, a COVID-friendly uh, establishment. and And that's what's, that's what's frustrating about this. And um, you know, for the average person. Um, may not understand what that's going to mean for business, but this is going to be, you know, they were already in some industries, significant challenges. We know the restaurants and that industry and hospitality industry has been severely impacted. And this, you know, my, my big fear is that, you know, if, if we don't get this under control in a quick time frame, some of these businesses may not reopen on the other side of this.
1: Yeah, and now we kind of go back to where we were at the start of this, right? We have to really, and I'm talking, you're you're uh, you know the head of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, so we're talking business specifically with you. Yeah. Now we go back to where we were at the start of this, trying to figure out ways that we can support businesses that are still doing business while we are critical and red here in Winnipeg area, and while we're uh, restricted and orange in the rest of the
0: province absolutely and i think you know that those are some of the things that you're going to need to do uh, obviously whether it's if you can if you can support your local restaurants you know the one nice thing that we do see in this is that Uh, We haven't had to close down retail like we had to the first time around. So you can continue to support those local retailers. And and that's going to be more important now than ever. Understand those challenges that those small businesses are going through. And whatever you can do to help support them so that they can get through these challenging times, that's going to be paramount in terms of them being able to recover. And again, we're going to be looking for the provincial government to step up and provide some support to help these businesses to get through this as well. Uh, That's going to be imperative if we want them to be successful
1: chuck thanks for this and as you talk to your members please give them my best and tell them that uh, to hang in there uh, i know that's easy to say and and maybe harder to do but make sure they know that i for one and i know a lot of Winnipegers and manitobans are thinking about them
0: appreciate that al
1: joining us on the phone now arthur schaefer professor of moral social and political philosophy at the university of manitoba arthur good afternoon
2: Good afternoon
1: to you. Thank you for doing this. So we're at 96% uh, capacity for intensive care in the province. And when the number starts getting that close to 100%, doctors and other health officials may find themselves making some tough decisions uh, in hospitals. And, and I was thinking about this knowing you were coming on today. I guess those decisions, though, are made every day, aren't they? But maybe more so uh, when the number gets high like that.
2: Yes, the decisions that are made are usually made under the label triage. So uh, for example, uh, your listeners will know that if you go to the uh, emergency room of uh, any hospital as uh, emergency department, uh, you'll present yourself at the desk and a triage nurse will talk to you. And then if what you have is minor or if it doesn't need urgent treatment, You'll sit for six hours in the waiting room uh, to have somebody look at your suspected broken foot but on the other hand if you've just suffered from a, a, you know severe heart pain uh, then they'll see you immediately and you'll be rushed in so that that's called triage and uh, it's an inescapable part of any medical system because it would be uneconomic to have enough capacity to handle. Uh, extreme peaks, uh, we just have to have too many beds, too many physicians, too many nurses. So we, we, we have a, a safety margin, but the safety margin gets pressed in, uh, emergency situations, uh, you know, a plane crash, uh, or a pandemic or some, you know, a flood. Uh, all, all of a sudden you may have, uh, more people needing, uh, treatment than, There is treatment available for them
1: and this pandemic this situation we find ourselves in here in winnipeg and manitoba i guess pushes this issue to the front and maybe we wouldn't normally give this much thought but now we're all kind of giving it some thought as we hear about icu units uh icus filling up yes
2: well perhaps i should mention uh and i think this is quite interesting uh, last uh, February and March, committees were established, uh, federally and, uh, uh, in various provinces, uh, panels of, uh, experts, including often people with bioethics expertise, to come up with criteria. What are we going to do? Well, this is at a point where no one was sure, uh, whether, uh, you know, how many people were going to need, uh, intensive care. And so, uh, these various committees were charged with developing criteria. Who should, so it's not the individual doctor or even the individual hospital necessarily who'll be making the triage decision. If we haven't got enough, uh, uh breathing machines for every COVID patient who needs one to stay alive, who should get them? So th- this has been thought about for well, since, uh, since last winter, criteria were developed, but I don't think anybody knows about it, or rather anyone outside the healthcare system. And I think that's wrong. I, I think we will need criteria in case there isn't enough uh, life-saving equipment or life-saving treatment for, for everyone who needs it. Uh, I think it should be, the criteria should be publicly known. I think we should be able to discuss it. I think if we consider the, if the public considers the criteria to be unfair, unreasonable, uh, there should be input allowed. Uh, Meanwhile, it's all going to happen if we do run out of intensive care spaces. It's going to happen in the dark, at least as far as the general public is
1: concerned. Arthur Schaefer, thanks for your time. Have a good weekend.
2: Nice chatting with you. Bye-bye.
1: Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here, D R S Y R A S D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Cyrus, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon, Hal.
1: Uh, listen, we've had a tough day here. Um, they just mm. keep getting tougher when it comes to COVID. Let me just ask you a couple of things. You know, you're a psychologist. Yeah. Help me out with a couple of things here. When things go so wrong after they went so right, how does that impact us?
3: Well, unfortunately, the dynamics around disappointment, are actually very, very similar to what happens in depression. And so you could almost, I don't think it's probably totally accurate, but you could almost say that this, that this, that a depression is kind of just feeling disappointed, you know, consistently one time after another, and this kind of feeling kind of rolls together into a depression. And so when we have this kind of uh, feeling good and then feeling bad, there is this feeling of disappointment. You know what's interesting? I actually have seen this repeatedly uh, when people will actually choose to stay down rather than experience the fall from something good and so that's that disappointment is almost worse than feeling bad so that's unfortunately what we're having here where we're having this fall from feeling good to feeling bad and there may be people out there who are like I wish we had never had a good time I never, I wish we had never been able to be kind of in code orange or not have any codes at all I wish that we had just stayed there Uh, stayed in code red so I didn't have to be so disappointed right now about having to go back to it. And so it is tough. It is tough to have that kind of change from the positive to the negative. That's hard on people.
1: And then everybody is impacted by this in one way or another. Some people are I, I won't say some people are hit harder. I'll say that everybody is hit differently by this. Ooh. You know, there are business people out there that are struggling to do business and 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 support their families and the families of their workers. Um and then there are people that can't visit with an aging parent or grandparent. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on. And I sense out there sometimes You know, not everybody. A lot of people are still saying, we're in this together, we're going to get through it together. And that's where we started. But more and more people now are pointing a finger, blaming somebody else. Is it frustration and anger because this has gone on so long? Is that really at the heart of that?
3: You know, oftentimes when people are experiencing experiencing anger, it's actually coming from feelings of grief or feelings even more so maybe of anxiety. And so when we have people who are experiencing significant anxiety about their future, about finances, about their, uh, you know, business or families, you know, about being able to be connected, about getting depressed, when people are anxious about these things, uh, they're more likely to get angry. And uh, so, yeah, I think that um, people are having a lot of feelings and it can turn into anger towards the other. And as you have more, you know, anger is not always rational, but as you give people more of an opportunity to do things that you know to fix a problem uh the assigning of responsibility gets higher as well so you now it's been longer and so people are going to be kind of assigning more responsibility but you know i think it is important for people you know even in tough times like this it might almost sound offensive to say but you do i, I it's advisable not easy and sometimes maybe not possible i don't know But it's advisable to kind of engage in as much psychological flexibility as you can. It's often what we're helping people with to try to reframe things in a positive way, even when things are desperately negative. And there is usually something, and I challenge people to look for it, usually something that you can take in a time like this as a benefit. You're having to spend a lot of time alone. There is probably something in your life that you'd wished maybe a year ago, maybe five years ago, boy, if I only had more time, I, if I only had some time to myself, I could do this one thing. Uh, you know, or you know, When businesses kind of have slow times, these are often really good times to retool a business, to kind of reimagine it, to come up with something new, to kind of improve efficiency, productivity, and marketing strategy. These are those times we have trouble creating space in our regular lives and oftentimes disasters like this give us space and businesses can often come out of these things stronger. And, and people can often come out of these things with, uh, you know, with new experiences and learnings. And so I would, I would encourage people to, to try to find something that you can take. No, I'm not saying that this is a positive thing. Don't get me wrong here. I understand that this is bleak for a lot of people and that it's a, it's a huge disaster for some. Um, but there is often something that you can take away as a, as, a, as a positive if you really work at reframing it.